chapter 7. That's where we're going to be at today. Um, this has really been, man, studying this out, teaching this, it has been challenging. It's been inspiring. It's been insightful. Uh, it's been really, really helpful. You know, we went to the, the KU game yesterday. It was awesome. You know, it, it was a, KU got the win, so that was great. And I was driving home, and uh you know, it was funny because there was this, you know, the park parking's just, you know. And there's always that struggle of like, I know that you're trying to weave in front of me, and I'm going to try to hug this guy's bumper so that there's no room for you to get in. And it's just like that constantly, right? And there was this older lady that was in the car, and she was just so sweet. She was just letting everybody just cut in front of her, right? And, of course, the people behind her were honking, and they were all upset because, you know. But we were talking like, man, this lady's just so sweet, and she's totally just getting taken advantage of because everyone's, like, rolling down their window, waving at her, and they're just cutting in front. And But then people would try to, you know, I even told Katie, I was like, Kate, don't make eye contact with anyone because they're going to try to make eye contact and, you know, get their way in there. So let's just, just you know. And it was funny because I was driving, and then it hit me. I was like, man wonder how I would drive in heaven, right? And it got me thinking about that lady, and I was like, gosh. But I think that's I think that's some of the purpose of this series, is to get us to think more like that in everyday life, is, man, how would I do this in heaven? How would I respond in heaven? How would I drive in traffic in heaven? How would I talk, you know, just all those kind of things. And, and we're really focusing on this idea of, we don't just become Christians and wait till we die and go to heaven. We live heaven now, right? And that's what Jesus was looking for here. And you can see why the people were amazed at his teaching. They had never heard anything like this before. Because up to this point, their faith had been diminished down to rituals and routines, to checklists, right? Memorize this prayer offer this sacrifice, recite this scripture at this time of day, and do that over and over. And that, that was their faith. Their relationship with God had become robotic, right? And Jesus came on the scene and he just challenged their way of life. He challenged everything. And that's what we've been looking at over the last five weeks or so, right? Jesus has no interest in being a part of our routine. He has no interest in being a section in our schedules. Jesus wants a deep, intimate, passionate relationship with each one of us. And He doesn't just want our actions. He wants our hearts. Amen? And, and we read, you know, He kind of sets the tone for this by this, what we read in, in verse 20 here, chapter 5. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Challenging stuff. And then he, he goes into this sermon and it kind of elaborates on this. Well, what do you mean have a greater righteousness than the Pharisees? 
And what we've seen, right, at first we looked at how Jesus was ushering in this new kingdom, and we're living in this period right here where there's the current age and this new kingdom all at the same time. But what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't go after our actions necessarily. He does, but not initially. What he does is he he starts by going after our hearts. By looking at what we talked about, these beatitudes, these kingdom attitudes. The first place he starts is by saying, entrance into the kingdom of heaven starts with you being broken and a spiritual beggar. In order for us to really understand what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, we've got to get on our knees and realize how desperately we need God. And I want, I've reiterated this each week, but I've got to reiterate it again. You're not going to get anywhere else without being poor in spirit. Period. At any point in our relationship with God, as we're on this journey, we stop being poor in spirit. We forget how broken we really are. We've got to stop and go back and remember how lost we truly are and how desperately in need of God we truly are. And then he gets in, after dealing with kind of our hearts and our attitudes, he gets into the heart of the commands. He goes back and he addresses several main commands from the Old Testament. And he reminds them of the heart behind these commands. Because the purpose was not to just see how much I can get away with based on the legal system of the law. But what's the heart of the message? Right? The standard's not don't murder. The standard is don't even be angry. And then he gets into the heart or the motivation behind our actions. What drives us? What motivates us? Are we motivated by pleasing God? Or are we motivated by the approval of men? And he talked about seeking first the kingdom and not being invested in this world. And today, we're going to finish out this sermon, um, Jesus' sermon here. And uh, it's a very challenging message. But very necessary and very good for us. And I think as you go through the Sermon on the Mount, it can be so easy to just feel this is impossible, right? This is like overwhelmed. How on earth could anybody, but especially me, live up to these standards of the kingdom? How How is it possible for me to live up to the standards of a citizen of the kingdom of God. Don't be angry. What? Right? If you have an issue with someone, deal with it quickly. Don't even lust. And if something's causing you to sin, cut it off. Be honest. Show integrity. Don't resist an evil person. Don't pay back evil with evil. Love. Serve. Sacrifice for people that you don't like and that don't like you. Don't put yourself in a position where you look down on others or where you view yourself as the judge. When you're in conflict with someone else, rather than trying to point out what they did, focus on what you did. Don't invest in the world. Don't be greedy or materialistic. Be content with what you have and what you need. Oh, and by the way, do all this with the right motives or else it doesn't really count. Right? Be perfect as your heavenly Father's perfect. Gosh. 
that's sometimes how it can feel reading the Sermon on the Mount. Like this, this is impossible. And Jesus, I thought you, I thought you weren't going after our actions, but you've somehow managed to make religion even harder than it already seemed to be by trying to get away from the rituals. That's hard enough, but that, that's almost easier. And I think that's why desperate prayer has to be woven into the lives of every kingdom citizen. I think that's why Jesus, you know, toward the beginning of chapter 7, starts this off with, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. I think Jesus is saying, you know what? This is challenging, but it's possible. And if you want it bad enough, ask. Bang down the door until you get the help that you need, right? I don't think it's just like, a, hello, you know, I think he's just this desperate, God, I, I want to be a citizen of your kingdom, but I need help. And what Jesus continues on here in chapter 7, which we're, we're about to get into, is, is he, he reminds us all that we have a choice. Because while living life as a citizen of the kingdom is difficult, we all have a choice. It's not chance. He's not going to draw straws. We have a choice. Let's look in Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 13. After Jesus goes through laying down all of this, going after our hearts, you know, opening our eyes to what the scriptures really mean, Gives, he, he, he gives us this choice. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Guys, we have a choice between two paths. The broad road. Right? We can choose to live as a citizen of this world. It's much easier, it's much more natural, and everyone else is doing it. So most likely you're not going to receive too much kickback for it. Or this narrow road. To live life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, to live by a new set of rules. It's unpopular, it's difficult, you will face persecution. It's hard to find, but it's even harder to stay on over the course of a lifetime, and only a few people are on it. Guys, we have a choice. And I think we have to we have to allow ourselves to be sobered by what Jesus says here. Only a few people will find it. Many desire it. Many have the best intentions following it and staying on it. Many choose it, start living on it, but then end up on the broad road. But Jesus himself, at the very beginning of his ministry, understood that only a few people are going to make it. We've got to allow ourselves to be sobered by that. You know, ABC, they did a study a few years ago. Of all the people they pulled, they pulled a lot of people 87% of the people they pulled believed there was a heaven, and 85% of the people they pulled believed that they were going there. 
I think that's pretty accurate, right? And, and either Jesus is exaggerating or he's wrong or there's going to be a lot of people in for a rude awakening when he comes back. Do you believe Jesus, really, when he says this, that only a few people are going to make? Well, of course I believe Jesus. Only a few people are going to make it. Yeah. But obviously I'm one of those few and my family's one of those few and my grandma's one of those few. My childhood friend and childhood mentor is one of those few. Right? And, and, and then it's like everyone's one of those few. The next thing you know, it's 85% of the population. Right? Do you really honestly believe only a few are going to make it? You know, in Jesus, he had a conversation with some of the Jews in John chapter 8. Because I, I think, guys, honest, if we're being honest with ourselves, most of us probably to some degree feel entitled to making it. If we're being honest. And Jesus was talking to some religious Jews in John chapter 8. And he said, hey, that's great. You guys believe in me. But my true disciples aren't just going to believe in me. They're going to hold to my teachings. Those are the real disciples. Those are going to be the ones that are set free. And you know what their response was? We're children of Abraham. That was their response. What do you, what do you mean? Uh, you're, you're talking as if we might not be set free, but we're children of Abraham. Kind of like Hey, do you know who you're talking to here? I'm a child of, I, I, I'm a descendant of Abraham. I'm one of God's chosen. I'm one of his children. Of course, I'm going to be one of those. And Jesus goes on to say, I don't care who you're related to. I don't care if you're a child of Abraham or not, because if you were a child of God, you would hold to my teachings. But you know who your father is? Your father is the devil. Guys, none of us are entitled to making it into the kingdom of heaven. None of us. It doesn't matter who your parents are, who your relatives are, how long you've been around. doesn't matter. How religious you are, doesn't matter. None of us are entitled to making it. doesn't matter what fellowship of churches you claim to be a part of. doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we all as individuals have to make a daily choice to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And it's a narrow road and only a few people find it. Now, I hope all of us in here want to be on that road, right? I think that's why we're here. Um, and so what Jesus does is he gives them a couple warnings. Hey, you have a choice to make. And if you want to be on the narrow road, then you got to watch out for these two things. And that's what we're going to look at today. Look in Matthew 7, starting in verse 15. The first thing that he talks about is false teachings. Verse 15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree 
that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Guys, think about this. Jesus warned against false teaching from the very beginning of his ministry. And if you really pay attention to what Jesus, it was interesting, I was in a discussion on a little webinar the other day. We were talking about what Jesus spent most of his time doing. One of the top things was correcting religious people on their misunderstanding of Scripture. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he warned against false teaching, and then he went on for the next couple years to spend a lot of time correcting people on their misuse of Scripture. And then if you continue to read after Jesus had gone, what do we see? Almost every single book in the New Testament letter that was written somewhere in there addresses how to deal with false teaching that was beginning to spread through the church. Guys, we cannot be surprised at the fact that there are incorrect teachings. You know, this year, 2019, Antonio alluded to it a little bit. This has been a, especially for the campus ministry, this has been a challenging year. There's been several people that have decided to walk away due to different doctrinal beliefs. I'll say that. False teaching. And it was so discouraging because we'd get in there and we'd sit down and we'd have discussions and there was such a blatant misuse of scripture. It's not like these were deep theological mysteries that were, you know, it, it was just an obvious no, that's wrong. But you are you are completely misusing the scripture. It, it was so sad to, to watch. And there were people that I don't think any of us would have expected to be the ones that would have left. You know, even um, gosh, yeah, it, it was just really challenging. It was very hard. But I don't think we should be surprised by that. Right? And I, I think it is really hard for us, but it shouldn't surprise us. Because the scriptures tell us over and over and over again that there are going to be false teachings that drag people away. And as hard as it was, it was really good for the campus, especially because it forced so many people to have to dig back into the scriptures and figure out, okay, are, we, are they? If we had to dig in there and get re-rooted and re-grounded into what the scriptures actually teach. Guys, we've got to be students of God's word. We have got to be students of God. There's a reason why the Bereans, for all eternity, were commended for being noble. Why? Because they accepted the message with great eagerness and excitement, and they examined it every single day because they were excited about it, but also because they wanted to make sure that it was true and it was accurate. And even Paul, who came to teach them this, this incredible gospel, Paul, you're amazing. But I'm still going to go home and kind of double check and triple check what you said to make sure that what you're saying is not just what you're saying, but it's what God's saying. Guys, there is a reality we have to face that there are incorrect teachings. We cannot budge on the scriptures. And we as a church have got to be rooted and grounded in scripture. Amen? If you want to stay on the narrow path, you have got to love, dig 
dig into God's Word. I want to encourage you, if you want to stay on the narrow path, read your Bible every day. Read books that deepen your understanding of Scripture more accurately. Go through and memorize Scripture. Memorize these study series that we do and make sure you actually know what we're teaching people and not just going through a checklist, right? Take notes on Sundays and review them. We've got to be students of God's Word if we're going to make it. Amen? But guys, we shouldn't let our faith be shaken when people are drawn away from false teaching because it's, it's happened since Jesus walked the earth and it's going to continue to happen. But let's not be those that get drugged away by false teaching. Amen? The second thing that he talks about, if you want to stay on the narrow road, what you have to avoid, a shallow, heartless relationship with God. Matthew 7, verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. Those are four words I pray we never have to hear. But, what does he say? Many will say to me on that day. And many will be told, I never knew you. I have it written up here. That word, to know. When you boil it back all the way to its root in Hebrew, what he's trying to communicate is this idea what's the word yada to know but it's not like when we think of knowledge head knowledge it's not factual it's not oh yes you know one plus i understand this one plus one okay i i conceptualize this it's knowledge that's gained through experience and that's what he's getting at here he's saying i never experienced your heart not, I never, I didn't know your name. I didn't know the things that you liked. I didn't know the hobby. I never, no, no, I never experienced your heart. And when you look here, I want, I want to expound on this a little bit. In Genesis chapter 4, I have it written up here, because I want to deepen our understanding of this idea of Jesus knowing us and experiencing us. I'm going to read verses 1, verse 17, verse 25. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Verse 17, Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Verse 25, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Sin. I want to look at a more accurate translation. Same scriptures, different version. Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. Verse 17. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bare Enoch. Verse 25. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called him Seth. This is the same word Jesus using when he's saying, I never knew you. 
you know, and as Westerners, we've kind of perverted everything sexually, so we kind of read this as kind of like, oh, that's kind of... It's the same word that's described as Adam having an intimate relationship with his wife. The same word that was used for making love to your spouse. Guys, Jesus does not just want our actions. He wants a deep, intimate relationship with each and every one of us. Great, you prophesied. Great, you performed miracles. But I never experienced your heart. You know, it's amazing how many parallels there are between our relationship with God and a marriage. Right? And in a marriage, there are plenty of things that need to get done. Right? Someone's got to pay the bills. Has to happen. Someone's got to mow the lawn. Has to happen. Someone's got to vacuum or clean the kitchen or take out the trash or make dinner. There are tons of things that need to get done on a daily and weekly basis. But that's not the purpose of a marriage. Right? When, I, when Katie and I met, I didn't think, man, you would be so responsible with taking care of bills, cleaning, and you know, you're such a good cook. Let's get married, right? Let's get, let's get married so we can do all these chores, right? That's not the purpose, but so often that's what, that's what our, our marriages become roommates, right? We're the best roommates in the world because we know what the other person wants. We know, hey, I know he likes this for dinner. I know she wants the trash taken out of this. I really know I want to do this. I'm going to make the bed in the morning. Man, this is going to make, and that's what our marriage can become. It's the same thing with our relationship with God. There's a lot that needs to get done and happen within our relationship with God. Yes, people need to have have the gospel shared with them. Yes, somebody's got to take the trash out of the church building. Yes, somebody has to, you know, work on the AV stuff and get the slides going. Somebody has to watch the kids. But that's not the purpose of our relationship with God. I don't think God said, hey, you know what? You would be an awesome Kingdom Kids coordinator, so let's have a relationship. That's not the purpose of it. But that's what our relationship with God can become. It can become all the chores. It can become all the stuff. And we lose that relationship. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, that's great. You did plenty of stuff. But I never experienced your heart. We never had a relationship. You weren't lacking in church attendance. You weren't lacking in service projects. You weren't lacking in quiet times. You weren't lacking in participation. But I never experienced your heart. Look in Deuteronomy. I have it up here. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Because I want to look at how can God experience our heart. That sounds very great and deep, and what does that even mean, right? Deuteronomy chapter 8. But guys, what this shows us, because notice, he doesn't say, you never knew me. I never knew you. It's possible for us to experience God, but God never experienced us. Think about that. It's possible for us to experience the blessings of God's kingdom, maybe even some miracles of God, the love of God's people. It's it's possible for us to experience God, but Him never experienced us. It's possible for us 
to know who He is, but Him to never know who we are. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, He's saying, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart. Same word. In order to know, in order to experience what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Intimacy, passion, depth, a relationship with God is built through the struggle. It's built through the desert. It's easy to live the kingdom way and hold to his teachings when everything's exciting. Right? Great, you prophesied. I bet that was exciting. Great, you performed and were a part of some really cool miracles. Bet that was exciting. How about I throw you out in the desert for 40 years, then let's see how excited you are. Let's see how you hold to my teachings then. Because I want to really experience your heart. Awesome. Everybody's getting baptized. You want to get baptized? Great. Jesus is Lord. Let me know who's Lord when everything in life is not going the way that you want. When nothing in life is exciting. But everything is challenging. Let's see how you're holding to the teachings then. And that's what God did with the Israelites. Great. I bet you want to follow me after you saw a pillar of fire come down from the sky. Great. I bet you want to follow me after I turned an entire sea into blood. And all these, you know, this crazy stuff that you witnessed. I bet you want to bow down to me now. How about I throw you out in the desert and all you eat is this stale bread and fish for 40 years. Then let's see how bad you want to follow me. Then let's see how much you love me then. I want to know your heart. I want to experience who you really are. You know, you think about in marriage, it's easy to be married on your honeymoon, right? It's, it's pretty easy for the most part. And, and it's crazy because when Katie and I got married, everything was awesome. It's just so exciting. Everything's great. And then you come home from the honeymoon. You know, I remember when we came home from our honeymoon, we had everybody over. We, we had gone right into the ministry. We had everybody over, the campus over. And, you know, we had a slip and slide and a cookout and all this stuff. And it was awesome. And this was great. Man, we can do this. You know, this marriage thing's no problem. Whatever. You know, I wake up the next morning. We had a note on our window. And so I'm going to the sink. I'm washing my hands. You know, I look up and the deck was gone. And the slip and slide had blown into the grill because there was a storm that came in, knocked the coals. The deck had burned. It caught on fire. The hose, we had a note on our door. Our neighbor saw the hose that was still out there and put, put the fire out. And it was just like, hey, just want to let you know your deck was on fire. We put it out. And I'm, I'm not joking. A section about like this size of the stage was completely gone. Like this wasn't just a little, it was completely gone right up to the house. And I was just like, like, how are we going to do this? Like it's been one day and we almost killed ourselves. Like what? But guys, it's easy to be married on your, on your honeymoon. It's easy to be married on your honeymoon. But when you, when you come home from the honeymoon, right? When you have the health issues, 
when you have the disappointments, when you have the miscarriages or the inability to get pregnant or you have health issues with your children or you have financial issues or career issues, your bodies are changing. Everything's not as exciting as it was on the honeymoon. You know what's amazing is I'm more in love with my wife now. Our, our marriage is so much richer and so much deeper now than it was when everything was going great and it was exciting. Because that depth, that intimacy is built and developed through the struggle. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. It's easy to follow Jesus when everything's exciting. And I can imagine that's how people listening to this sermon felt. Right? It says they were amazed at the teachings. Yet many of them were going to fall away. Think about that, right? Oh my gosh, I haven't heard anything. This is incredible. I want to be a part of this. Easy to follow Jesus. But God kicks us out in the desert sometimes and says, I want to see what's really in your heart. As the key to remaining on the narrow road is do not quit. Do not Hold to his teachings in the good times, but also in the times that are terrible. Because that's when our hearts really show. Sometimes we've got to get in the trenches with God, and we've got to wrestle, and we've got to struggle, and we've got to fight, but we cannot quit. And that's when our hearts are really revealed. I want to send you out in the desert, and I want to get to know what's really going on here. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said, many on that day, they did plenty of stuff. But when it got tough, they quit. I never knew you. I never got to experience your heart. Because you were with me when times were exciting, but when times were tough and you were in the desert, you didn't hold to my teachings. We didn't have that relationship. I didn't get to fight and struggle and wrestle in the trenches with you. Brothers and sisters, do not quit. This would have been an appropriate ending. Unfortunately, we have more to talk about. Although, that would have been great. Okay, Matthew chapter 7. I don't know how to transition. Matthew chapter 7. Let's continue to read. Verse 24. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine puts uh, and, and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Guys, we all have a choice. We all have a choice. But we'd be fools not to choose the narrow road. Because it's not like we're choosing, hey, pick this really hard life that's going to just be terrible and end in disaster, or pick this really easy life that's going to be terrible and end in disaster. And everything's... We're going to face challenges either way. The only one that ends in disaster is the broad road. The narrow road leads to life. So taking the easy road really isn't that easy. 
So we all have a choice to make, but I'm pleading with us, and I think Jesus was pleading with them, with them too. Be a fool not to live as a citizen of the kingdom. Yes, it's challenging. Yes, it's almost impossible. But the other one is in disaster. It might be easy for a time, but in the end, you're going to fall with a great crash. Guys, choose the narrow road. The people were amazed at his teachings. We've heard a lot of stuff over the last several weeks. What do we do with all this? What, what do we do? How do we put this into practice? Got some application for us here. How we can take the Sermon on the Mount, take it from here to here to our lives. The first place that it starts is being poor in spirit. And I don't just mean that, you know, I, it would be great for every single person here to take time to sit down to remember the sin in our life and remember how sinful and broken we really are. If you ever lose sight of your sin and how serious it is and how your sin put Jesus on the cross, that's when things get funky. I don't want to say shame yourself with constant guilt of your sin, but if you're not aware of the sin in your life, you're not going to make it. The first place to start, remember the sin in your life. Be broken, be poor in spirit. From there, where do you go? Study out the wise. That's what Jesus did. He took them back to the wise behind all these commands. Guys, we've got to know the reasons why we do things. We've got to know the reasons behind the commands and the teachings of Jesus. We've got to become students of his word. I, I, there was, uh, you know, one guy told me, hey, if you don't like reading, you'll eventually go to hell. It's like, what? Because I didn't like reading. I like reading now, but uh, it took me a while to understand what he meant. Because for so long, it was just like, no, I just don't. But then I understood how dangerous it can be to just go along with everything else. And the reality is, I'm not going to soak up all this deep knowledge and become a, a student of God's word by just coming to church on Sunday and hearing a bunch of stuff. We've got to dig into the scriptures and understand the reasons behind Jesus' teachings. And from there, you've got to know your why. Why am I doing this? Am I doing it to please other people? Am I doing it to please my parents? Am I doing it to please God? We've all got to know our why. And then we've all have to invest or evaluate our investment and make necessary adjustments. Where am I investing my money? Actually, this is something I did with some campus students in Florida. We took about 10 minutes. I had them write down, where's all your money going for you? Write out the amount. And let's just literally look and see where you're invested monetarily. That, that can be challenging. It can be very challenging. I'll go into thousands of dollars in debt every year for education, but I'll give maybe $5 a week to God. Maybe. Where are you spending your time? We did the same thing with our time. Go through your week. How many hours a week do you spend on sleep, social media, movies, video games, education, kingdom things? Where's your energy spent? Where are your what, what consumes your dreams or your thoughts? Most of us probably have dreams for our careers or for our families or for do you have kingdom dreams? Do those dreams consume your thoughts? We've got to evaluate our investment so we can actually know, am I seeking first the kingdom or am I seeking first this world? 
And if it becomes very clear, we've got to make some adjustments. What, am I, what do I need to come back on? Okay? And then lastly, kingdom accountability. I was talking with Daryl. He was telling me that this is something they've started doing in their household. As, as a family, you know, hey, would, would we do this in heaven? Would you do the, and it's great working with your kids, right? Hey, would you do this in heaven? No. Okay, that, it's just a great parenting technique even. But I think this would be great to incorporate within our discipling and within our daily lives. Start asking that question. When we're getting our deep times and we have, we're getting advice, hey, what should I do in this situation? What do you think you'd do in heaven? What would a kingdom citizen do? If we start talking like that, we're going to start living more and more and thinking more and more, what would a citizen of the kingdom of heaven do? And that's when I think we'll really start to see this thing take form. Okay? Uh, in most situations in life, you can find an answer somewhere in the Sermon on the Mount. It's really cool. Somewhere in there. Let's start using the Sermon on the Mount to help us live everyday situations. Guys, if we can start applying this to our daily lives as family groups, as discipling partners, as spouses, as roommates, we're going to see change start to take place within our lives and within the world around us. Amen? And I think that's the intent that Jesus had. Let's start living heaven now. Right? Live it now. Bring the usher in. the. We're going to be able to be a part of the kingdom of God being spread throughout the world until one day he comes back. Amen? Guys, uh, I want to continue for us to study out the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a, a pleasure to go through. It's been challenging, but guys, if we can put this into practice, it's going to change our lives and the people around us. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer, and we'll close with one more song. God, thank you so much for your scripture. God, I pray that we can dig into it more and more and love it and become students of it. Uh, God, thank you that we have a choice. God, that it all isn't just chance, but we do have a choice. And as challenging as the narrow road is, and I know only a few people make it, but God, we want to be one of those few. God, we love you. I pray so much that we can really guard our hearts and make sure our relationship with you doesn't just become a bunch of chores and checklists, but God, that it can be a deep, intimate, passionate relationship with you. God, that you would know our hearts, that in those times when we're out in the desert, that we would continue to follow you and obey your teachings, that we wouldn't quit on you. God, thank you so much that we even have an opportunity to have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that we'd be students of your word, that we wouldn't be drug away by false teachings, that we wouldn't let different teachings that pop up shake our faith, but that we'd be grounded and rooted in your word. God, we know that storms are going to come. But God, if we built our house on your word, on your teachings, if we put your teachings, your kingdom way into practice, we're going to be able to withstand those storms and stand firm. God, I pray that our lives would not end in destruction, that we'd be citizens of your kingdom, not citizens of this world. We love you so much. We're so thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.